0: Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and and my favorite magic product is Mirrodin Pure. The image of those Mirrens triumphant over New Phyrexia was just one of the most beautiful in magic history.
1: Jay, that never happened. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I have the actual favorite magic product ever released, and that is Conspiracy, the Reign of Braga... Wait, wait, never mind. Um, I'm sorry, the, the set was Conspiracy, the Empty Throne.
2: What? No, neither of those things were real Ugh. Anyway, hi, my name is Brian Dawes And my favorite Magic products was the Magic movie
1: <laughs> Brian, I do not think that one made it through Are you sure? That was uh, yeah. Magic Mike triple X. Oh Or XXL? Whatever, I don't know <laughs> Please. I don't think that was the one either
0: Vin Diesel when he was cast as Jay Spellerin, that was great.
1: Yeah, boy, that mess up got Vin Diesel onto a Magic Mike's movie. Onto it, got Magic Mike's, <laughs> damn it! Oh my god,
0: we'll edit something salvageable.
1: No, this that. is very funny, Jay. This is <laughs> we're just collapsing here, kind of like the Magic Movie.
3: See, it's thematic. The Magic Movie did never come out. Um, it turns out it was canceled about two weeks ago, um, or publicly canceled. But what wasn't canceled? Magic: The Gathering Portal. You got a life tracker. You got game organizer. You got all these cool features. Actually, Carrie, I, they're I all gone.
2: They, they they renamed it as uh, MTG Companion. Sorry, buddy. But,
3: but MTG Companion's the same thing, right? It's up to sixteen, up to sixteen players
0: yeah yeah no
3: no game one percentage calculations or random pairings
0: companion is the same thing it's 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 twin like it's it's identical in every way
3: it's got like great art that i love
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay in companion's defense i think the art the goblin thing is adorable like that's really cute and if you're looking for like broad appeal on an app that's gonna look good on a phone in smaller resolutions that is fantastic
3: Unless the goblin's name is Portal. I think the goblin's
1: name should be Portal. I think that's a good, fun idea. We should start a petition
0: to name the goblin Portal.
3: I mean, I'm just going to call the goblin Portal anyway. I don't follow the rules. I'm sure that the companion app developers would love to acknowledge the existence of the failed app project, MTG Portal.
0: So welcome to the Vorthos cast. Uh, This week... We are celebrating Brian's anniversary with the podcast. Yay! Yeah. So Brian has been with us a full year at this point. Ashley has as well, but Ashley also has finals this week, so we will be celebrating Ashley's anniversary next week.
2: Yeah, it's all about me this week.
0: So Brian, you got anything you want to say about your about your time with the cast? I mean, you've been here longer than the you haven't been at this point. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, this is my house now. Mine!
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, it, it's it's just, it's been an honor to be here. Um, I've had a lot of fun. And, um, to, here's to another year, I guess.
0: To another year.
1: God, if I'm still doing this next year, kill me. No, that's kidding. I love this. This is fun. It's great. <laughs> Yo, though, it, like, it's, it's so weird that, like, y'all have been joining us for a year already where does time go i hate it
0: so this week we're going to talk about a metaphysics <laughs> 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 we're going to talk about the metaphysics of the multiverse so we have a number of listener questions that we are working our way around to and quite a few of them have to do with metaphysics along the same general line So I'm going to read a, a handful of the questions we've got over the last couple months That we've been putting off for an episode where we could tackle them in more detail So the first one was from Chris rd 19 one of our uh, patrons Chris asked, I would like to request an episode about the blind eternities And what the heck that means?
1: It's funny because when you just say patrons when we haven't talked about Patreon yet, that makes it sound like Chris is like a rich Italian trades person who's like sponsoring the arts, which is funny because
3: we're not fancy. I think that's exactly what it is.
0: We are the arts. It's literally <laughs> the same model. The next question came from Gadel Madel on Twitter. Uh, and Gadel Madel asked, I love that name. So, artificial planes. It's my understanding they are naturally unstable and required a great and constant power to keep together. Does this then mean that post-mending, all artificial planes are currently collapsing? Is it possible to perpetuate them without old walkers? And the final question is from P. Kinter 13. Listening to your Unbowed Part 1 episode and the discussion about death and reincarnation on band. Given Gideon dies in war and it looks like his soul did an entirely different thing and Niv-Mizzet was resurrected as an avatar, would love to hear how death works in MTG. So all of these things are slightly different, but they do give us an excuse to do what we wanted to for a while and just talk about metaphysics for an episode.
1: And really complain about time because, like, God, Unbound Part 1 was so long ago. God. Like this time last year, I think. Like a year ago.
0: Jesus. Over a year, because I'm not sure Brian was on the podcast yet.
1: I don't, I don't remember. remember. It was
0: like the tail end of the summer.
1: I don't know. Unbound was by Cassandra Kaw, who was amazing. You should go read her stuff, because she's dope. Also, Gideon dies in war, spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> if you didn't know that by this point. So, let's start with the Blind Eternities. So the Blind Eternities are this chaotic abstract space that isn't really space that exists in between the planes. Physical dimensions and physics in general don't really work like they would on planes or in what we would consider reality there. Planes are these like bubbles of reality that have pushed out from the Blind Eternities. We know that there are like these bubbles of reality there because you can create artificial ones. And we'll talk a little bit more about what planes are in a minute. Now, artificial planes were typically created by planeswalkers back in the day when they had godlike powers. And they would essentially just rip a hole in the Blind Eternities or they would create a artificial plane uh, by creating a scar in the Blind Eternities, essentially.
1: There's a lot of like weird language when you talk about the eternities because like like so if you're familiar with like a lot of uh, ancient mythologies, um the idea of like a primordial chaos where there is no order, it's just a disorder. that's basically what the eternities are, except, yeah, like they are persistent into the present day. Like creation happened, physics exists, but all the chaos still remains. It's freaky
0: so nothing from the planes can survive in the blind eternities unless it has a planeswalker spark and we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute so these artificial planes they had a bad habit of collapsing if the balance wasn't maintained within them so artificial planes we know of a couple uh the original phyrexia sarah's realm These places heavily leaned towards like one element of mana. And because of that, they were out of whack and left unmaintained. Unless there was someone actively working to keep them open and keep them functional, Uh, they tended to collapse. And we learned a lot about this in the novel Planeswalker way, way back in the day where we were introduced to wrath um, and the metaphysics of Sarah's realm.
2: This question also makes me wonder, couldn't Karn just leave Argentum alone, AKA Mirrodin, AKA
1: new Phyrexia? I don't think so. Um, because one of the key points about Phyrexia, the original Frexia and Sarah's realm is that they were so focused on one color of mana that made them unstable. Um, magic metaphysics tends to be about balance of the five colors And one of the key parts about Argentum, which became Mirrodin, which became Neuphrexia, is that it is a mathematically perfected plane that
3: has a balance of all five colors of mana. But couldn't it have been a balance of zero colors?
0: It was already an existing plane. Mirrodin is not artificial that way. It was an empty plane except for the Blink Moths when Karn came to it and created the metal world of Mirrodin, with the mana core inside, so Mirrodin's not going to collapse because it was a—it's
1: stable anyway, though. Like it's yeah, it would
0: be stable anyway. That's true because it does have the balance of all five colors.
1: Which is which is like like because I think the big question here is Wrath. Um, Wrath was unstable because of Flowstone. That was by design. I'm curious if Wrath would have like if the overlay didn't happen, um, would Wrath still be around? Because um, it was balanced with all five colors of mana, so that's unusual for artificial planes because the people who make them tend to do so with extraordinary
3: prejudice and bias. But we also don't know how exactly Wrath was kind of originated as a seed of a world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the metaphysics of Wrath are something we'll never probably ever get a good answer to.
1: We just
3: hand wave flowstone. <laughs> And if you want an entertaining headcanon for that, Beer and Booer on Multiverse in Review speculates that it has something to do with Leshrac's brief imprisonment on Phyrexia, which is an entertaining thought and pretty much the best lead we have to any Phyrexians being involved with Planeswalkers for creating Wrath.
0: It's also interesting because of Leshrac happening to be the only Planeswalker if that was the case, that would coexist with all the places we've seen slivers.
1: Yes. Shh.
0: That's kind of what led to my Raven Man theory way back in the day because we
1: started pursuing that. Shh. But I anyway, I haven't written that article yet. I'm soon. I will have the slivers article soon.
0: <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the beings that we know exist in the Blind Eternities or can pass through it, besides the Planeswalkers. So the first is the Eldrazi, which are extra-dimensional beings that reach into planes and suck all the mana dry through a straw, essentially, until the plane collapses.
1: This is why the Eldrazi really work as the cosmic horror trope is because they are, as far as we know, the only beings that are totally native to the Eternities, which again is primordial primordial chaos and the. Uh, the total antithesis of structure and order and understanding. Um, So they really perform their function well in terms of lore design as the the main cosmic horrors of magic.
0: There are also kind of abstract beings that represent more of like a primeval idea of creatures and seeds creatures throughout the multiverse. And I'm talking about creatures like the Ur-Dragon or Arabo, who are these interplanar beings that seem to be, wherever they appear, they either invigorate their kind or they even create their kind. Uh, We see the Ur-Dragon's wingtip touch Dominaria, and the Elder Dragons are born, and they're the first dragons on the plane.
1: Yeah, and they're interesting because both of those creatures are avatars. So, like, I wouldn't describe the Ur-Dragon as a being— um, i i would describe avatars of the ur dragon so so ber- both the ur dragon card and sign of the earth dragon are, are avatars of this force um wh- whereas the earth dragon i to me the way i interpret it is less a being and more of like the platonic ideal of dragonness that just exists throughout the multiverse and manifests on different planes and that's also weird and makes sense why it's kind of tied to the eternities and a, a super metaphysical, um, super in this case, literally meaning above, um, like a meta-metaphysical thing. It's weird. And I, I Arabo's like the same way.
0: So there are other beings like the cosmic larva, and there are a few other that appear <laughs> that have traveled in between the planes. But we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Eldrazi in the past. And the simple answer is these, were, these filled that cosmic horror trope. Before it was solidified into the Eldrazi. So I wouldn't expect to see very many more of these cosmic larva type of creatures. I mean, even Merit Lage kind of fit in here for a little while.
1: Oh, Merit Lage absolutely fit into the exact space that the Eldrazi explored later. The cosmic larva though, so they were, that was a card in I think 5th on uh, where... They they are literally a piece of... So Fifth On utilized a lot of concept art that was made for when when designing and world-building Mirrodin. And a lot of those cards, uh pieces of art got put onto cards because they just didn't have enough art. And, and Cosmic Larva was one of them. And the explanation used for, like, what? This is a weird-looking thing that doesn't look like anything else in our world design. Why is this here? And someone just said, ah! It's giant. And it came from elsewhere in the multiverse and it eats metal and <laughs> and and i'm just sitting here like oh no what did you do but like there's there's also a piece um I th- it's like quimlocks or whatever it's it's a big flyer with affinity for artifacts and it's the only card in in the entirety of the two mirrored blocks that shows a night sky and a sky with stars which we know is not supported by any of the canon Um, (laughs) Myrna does not have night or stars like that. It's just that card art. It's infuriating.
0: Rather than looking it up I think the one thing I'll mention is if it's before the fifth dawn it makes sense because there was a night sky with what looked to be stars if you were over the tangle but that was the only place that would work.
1: Click Moss. It's literally the only card... It doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about what's in the Blind Eternities. Ether. So, Ether, I always want to say Aether. I really prefer to say Aether, but it's Ether. So, Ether is a magical power source that exists primarily in the Blind Eternities. Some planes, like Kaladesh, have a lot of it, all planes have a little bit of it. But it is a very highly sought-after power because it is just raw, magical ability. And I believe, you know, one of my head cannons is part of the reason Old Walkers used to be so much more powerful is because they had more ample access to ether, Whereas Planeswalkers today, it's much harder to access the Blind Eternities for them.
1: Yeah, and, and some of that is supported in um, some trace elements of lore. So, yeah, so in the story uh, Stone and Blood, when Nahiri gets out of the Hell Vault, she mentions about how it feels like the walls of the Blind Eternities are higher and it's harder to planeswalk. And then this is a reference to the mending having happened during her imprisonment, um, where the multiverse kind of pulled back a little bit from planes and being unstable and well, not except apparently on Kaladesh, where the ether sphere shifted in a way that made ether processable, which is fascinating. So, that's kind of a thing Kaladesh shares with Iquitana, which has like entire chimneys of ether. But, uh, yeah, ether's like so. If like the primordial chaos eventually became physics in the real world, in a magical world, the primordial chaos would include a chaotic force that is magical and that's kind of ether it's like the most fundamental magical energy of the multiverse
0: and when we say the most fundamental we mean down to like the creation of living creatures because we've learned over time through the stories that souls are essentially made from ether and they return to the ether and the reason planeswalkers get their spark at least in one text we don't know if this is really still true but it's Mm. yeah it's it's iffy because it's from a a document about planeswalkers that kind of got unpublished (laughs) but that planeswalkers had the touch of uh the blind eternities on their souls like they had a a greater chunk on their soul that gave them this spark that allowed them to access the blind eternities
1: one of the things, the interesting things that ties ether to souls to Planeswalker soccer sparks, is the idea that in order to be born with a spark, in order to naturally have a spark, you like have to be born. Um, and so, so the idea that you have to be born with a soul being a prerequisite for the spark, I think, really supports that idea. Um, tangentially so like this is the reason why we don't have an angel planeswalker because angels are created they're uh, from from mana from from pure magical energy they're not created through a biological source
3: question then if i cast remove soul on an angel spell though next question <laughs>
0: <laughs> so You know, both Sarah Angels and the Bant Angels are supposedly incarnated from souls of, like, honored warriors. So maybe we could get an angel planeswalker that way somehow. You know,
1: it could happen. The nameless angel in uh, Brandon Sanderson's novella was also an angel with a soul, which had weird metaphysical things over that town. So, like, and, and it's, there's not, I mean, there's plenty of ways artificial things have gotten sparks so obviously karn has a spark he inherited them from other planeswalkers obviously obnixilis is a demon who who demons like angels are constructs of black mana except ob started as a human and became a demon so he got to retain his spark um there are lots of ways theoretically that an angel could get a spark so like the idea that an angel isn't going to be created with a spark isn't a reason to say there shouldn't be an angel planeswalker. That's ridiculous, and people need to stop saying that because this is magic, and we can write all kinds of rules like, hey, Mowood can just go with Yangu, whatever. So
0: the natural course of events for souls are, you know, when you're born, you have a soul of ether, and when you die, your soul or that ether returns to the blind eternities and the the ether. That's kind of supported in microcosm, by the Etherborn on Kaladesh, because Kaladesh has its own ether cycle that the Etherborn are born from, returned to, and then are reincarnated from, which we got a bit of with Yeheni in the Kaladesh stores.
1: So you're saying the Etherborn are born from ether? That's weird. What? Yeah,
0: I know, right? <laughs>
1: that they're only born from processed ether and, and the processing process is also really fascinating. Cause like,
0: I have more thoughts on that, but I'll talk about that near the end. If we have time to get into my kind of unified mana field theory. All right, let's talk about how that's the normal process, but sometimes things capture those souls and prevent them from returning to the ether. I mentioned sometimes angels are created from souls Sometimes uh, I—it's I, not on our agenda here—but for instance, on Inistrad, the Silver Moon seems to have some sort of effect that keeps souls from moving on. We know this because of the Nebeltide, which, when uh, when the water comes in, it brings a whole bunch of souls in.
1: Yeah, Innistrad has a whole process called the Blessed Sleep, where. The Church of Avicen has special magical practices to help souls move back to the Eternities. It's
3: weird. Also, I believe it's the Planeswalker's Guide to Avicen Restored, either of those parts. Um, There is a detail, I believe it is Bruna's flight, that ends up shuttling, no, I believe it's Avacyn's flight, actually, that ends up shuttling the souls essentially out of Innistrad. But the issue with that was all of her angel buddies were pretty depressed that she wasn't there. So they just didn't do that during an and Dark Ascension, <laughs> which contributed, obviously, to the buildup of Geist on the plane. Now, my recollection
1: was that it was Brunus, but I don't have it open to check and I'm not going to open it right now. But the point was that it was there was a specific angelic task to help. Yeah.
3: Yeah. If anybody can correct me. You get to replace me on the podcast, as are the rules <laughs> of magic. War.
0: Vorthos Highlander. Yeah. So, on other planes like Ravnica, Ravnica had uh, a Gyrum, which was like a blister subplane that captured spirits. That's where we see the ghost quarter.
1: It's literally like a boil filling with pus. Mm. At, at the end. <laughs> <That's a> great. <laughs> thanks. Wow, thanks for that inventory. Thanks Laura. for that. Jeez. It's okay. The mending (laughs) happened and the boil popped.
0: So, yeah, it was, uh, it manifested when the guild pact broke. Uh, but ghosts appeared at a very high rate, even outside of the Orzhov magic, although I think the Orzhov really benefited from it. And then when the mending happened, uh, all those ghosts and that manifested, uh, what ghost quarter just kind of faded away, and the ghost quarter became a regular, just the nickname for a regular um, neighborhood. Theros's underworld does something similar where souls get caught in this afterlife there. and if they try and leave the underworld, the soul gets split from the body and becomes an idolon that doesn't retain any of its identity anymore. Nyx and all the god stuff there too seems very there's a lot of metaphysics going on there that i think would be best for uh, a whole feature episode on what the heck is going on on theros
1: there was a point where i was looking through uh, structures of planes throughout the multiverse and then the more i thought about theros the weirder it gets it's so bizarre as far as like magic planes go like, I love it so much. It's weird. It does so many bizarre things. Like, yeah, like we need to talk about it more sometime. Not this week, but like, it's, yeah, it's great.
0: And that gets me to the, the answer kind of to uh, P. Kinter's 13's question and some, some other questions. Because I've seen this pop up a lot, specifically around Gideon's death. And... You know, it's it's not made explicit in the book, and I'm not. This isn't word of God for me. This is my interpretation. But Gideon's death felt more poetic, like a poetic end for him, with closure that they could represent on a card, uh, so that you know, oh, he didn't just die brutally. You know, he's at peace, rather than Gideon's soul got transported to
1: Theros's underworld across planes. It's very clear. Gideon's body evaporates into ash on Ravnica. Um, I think it would be, and it's it's not supported anywhere in canon that a soul would just like zip
3: to another plane. Um, that's weird. But in the story you're kind of just ignoring that he waves to the cosmic larva before that scene.
1: <laughs> so. Shut.
2: And he clearly planeswalked back to Theros right as he was evaporating.
1: So. <laughs> they never knew. That's not true because his armor's still on Ravnica. <laughs> he could have taken it off. He he, he...
2: Planes walked in the
1: news. So, so in a split second, as he's dying, he just stripped naked? Oh my god, this connects back to Magic Mike XXL. Exactly. <laughs> see?
0: Alright. Let's move on to planes. So the planes of the multiverse are very diverse. Most of the ones we see tend to be the kind that are habitable for humankind. We tend not to see the ones that you walk into them and in their instant death because that's kind of a lame way of ending a character.
2: What are you talking about? Grixis exists, Jay.
0: But a lot of the... well, <laughs> back in the day, there used to be more of them because old walkers could survive them. Uh, there was like the Nether Void and things along those lines.
1: I, I mean, there's a whole plane called Wildfire,
0: <laughs> where yeah, basically you only survived if you're. A fire spirit.
1: <laughs> so the whole plane is just on fire. That's its thing. Just because a lot of the worlds we see are like pretty typical fantasy worlds. like So So Dominaria is like the prototypical fantasy world. Dominaria is a globe in a heliocentric solar system in space that we know at least has one other planet, Jinue, in it. Um, the people of Jinue, we know there's at least dwarves there, so there are people. The people of Jinue, I bet, are really pissed that the plane is called Dominaria and not Jinue. But whatever excellent logic did no this is like ixon thing on steroids this is like interplanar or interplanetary grudges uh, maybe that's the theme of the next set jenny invades Dominario to take it over and rename the plane
2: <gasps> more spaceships <laughs> i like it
1: um so so that, that's like pretty typical and, and like as far as we know innistrad's pretty similar and um uh, and, and Ravnica might be the same. Ravnica's tricky. We just really don't know what the Far Reaches are like. But then we get things, at, as we mentioned, Theros. Theros is flat. The mortal realm of Theros is flat. Nyx and the Underworld are realms that you cannot planeswalk into and out of, but are still part of the plane. So they're, like, connected to the mortal realm, but not the blind eternities. And then, like, it's ringed by rivers that recycle into the Underworld and back... Like, there's a clear edge of the world. It's really bizarre. And then, um... A new Phyrex is another one of those uh, kind of globe worlds, but we don't know for sure that it's, like, in space. But then there's, like, Pyrulia, which is the world on the inside of a sphere. So if you look at um, the original Horizon Canopy or the playing card Horizon Bells, uh, there is gigantic tropical forests that, uh... And, and if you look at the art, you can see a really heavy curve because it's on the inside of a sphere with I, I guess presumably a light source in the in the gravitational center. It's bizarre. So there's like there's there's planes where like physics are just so freakish and and cosmological structures are so different. It's hard to really pin down what makes a plane a plane when there's that much diversity.
0: One of the big characteristics of the plane, is mana so we mentioned before artificial planes that were out of balance would collapse that happens kind of as well with regular planes but with a, reg- a natural plane they have their own natural mana systems that are in balance so there are five colors of magic in mana. uh five <laughs> five colors of mana in magic uh there's white mana, which comes from plains, blue mana, which comes from islands, black from swamps, red from mountains, green from forests. There's a story that talks about the colors of magic and what they can and can't do really well called Lauren's Smile. And if you like the card Felden, it stars him as he masters all five colors, trying to bring back his lost love Lauren. And it's um it's definitely worth reading. <laughs>
1: If you, if you would like to read a worse story that talks about the colors of mana, go read Wayfarer, one of the old Armada comics. Uh, you don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to. I do like Christina, but you don't need to read Wayfarer. Um, there is a slug named Hunt, though, so that's pretty cool.
0: So beings that live on planes naturally develop bonds to the land they live on. And that is those bonds are from where they draw mana. That's not something that's really talked about all that much anymore, because it's like a, a mechanical thing that you don't really need to go into detail for this anyway. But the reason planeswalkers, even these days, tend to be more powerful than your average mage is at least in part because they can access mana from, from more planes throughout the multiverse. Now, there are channels of mana that run through planes, not literal like underground rivers, they're kind of metaphysical, they can take all sorts of weird twists and turns and, and be manipulated. They've been manipulated on Ravnica to make the Guild Pact and Zendikar to create the Eldrazi prison. They are called ley lines and Nissa is a master of manipulating these. And these are if the colors of mana, if like drawing from an island is opening the tap, a ley line is opening a water main. It is just, like, a flood of mana that can absolutely destroy you. And, when turned against the Eldrazi Titans, destroyed Ulamog and Kozilek. So, they are quite powerful, and they're essentially, like, the veins of, you know, the veins of the the planes.
3: And I think they're, like, one of the things that has been, that has undergone the best retooling since... I guess, the early days of Magic, because even all the way back to Magic's first real story with the introduction in the Player's Handbook, the whole thing about Warzel and um, Rurika, is Rurika's tale after all, um, is that Rurika is like the finder for the Planeswalker, and again, much more common in pre mending lore, but they would have finders who are specifically supposed to find ley lines and mana lines so that they could take those but of course other wizards were dueling you for them which is why you were playing magic the gathering in the first place but it's nice to see that like something kind of introduced that far back not that ley lines were a unique concept to magic obviously um has been followed through to pretty much all the way at least to amuncut where it was being manipulated by nickelbolas so i mean
2: war had some too cuz bolas summons the uh, the portal right on top of the ley lines that Tie everything to the guilt pact
3: There you go They've just been retooled for I guess better narrative purposes Than people <laughs> fighting over them
0: Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense Because you don't fight over lands in the game
3: yes. I mean you could Some people do
0: <laughs> Cube April disagrees yeah,
2: you're Looking at you April
1: <laughs> In April's defense She does not fight over land She just destroys them
0: Nature on planes tends to have its own intelligence. It manifests from like the smallest unit, which is elementals that manifest from the magic of any kind of natural place, and sometimes even like concepts, all the way up to the, to the big daddy or mommy elemental of the plane, the world soul.
1: I do not appreciate gendering that that way,
0: so world souls, we know of a few. We know of Gaia on Dominaria. Do we, we know
1: Gaia is the world soul? Is that actually like confirmed confirmed? Yeah. Mhm. Okay, cool. That's cool.
0: Matsalesnia on Ravnica, uh Progenitus is implied to be the world soul of Alara, and there there are various others. Uh Nissa communicates with several throughout the whole Eldrazi saga. Like she talks to Zendikar and to Innistrad and later to uh, the Great Conduit on Kaladesh, and
1: uh, I mean she, she talks to Amonkhet also, and and she does speak with Lauren and Chatamore in her origin story. Uh, Zendikar's really interesting because Zendikar's World Soul manifests in a bunch of different ways. Um, uh, obviously, Ashaya was the main one during that uh, the the battle for Zendikar block, but. Uh, I think it's pretty heavily implied that a lot of other other elementals on that plane are also manifestations of the World Soul. Also, because the plane itself is kind of alive. Zendikar's also metaphysically really weird.
2: I feel like they are shifting it to where Omnath could arguably be the World Soul. The way they are making him shift in mana, the way that he is, I don't know.
1: Yeah, he's he's kind of Omnath is emblematic of Zendikar's mana. Which isn't really explained, because we don't have any story information about Omnath. During
3: the first block, they said, oh, it's a wild mana, it's unpredictable. And then that turned to be only story relevant, like, a total of one time. Yeah. And so it just kind of went like, oh, well, there's wild mana there. In the same way Chandelar is always referred to as, like, a drifting (laughs) plane. Because that's the one attribute they knew about it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: <laughs> Chandelar's I, Chandelar's really cool. I, I really like Chandelar's a plane. I'm not going to get onto the, the metaphysics <laughs> of what it means that Chandelar is a drifting plane because I have lots of ideas and they're all weird. <laughs> What's also neat about World Souls is we had a new piece of canon about them last year with Brandon Sanderson's uh, Children of the Nameless in that when a plane dies sometimes its world souls can fracture and condense into things called entities which are super condensed consciousnesses of incredible magic power that can inhabit other beings so davriel kane's thing is that he has an entity inside his head that gives him tremendous magical power that he has misused and killed a lot of people with in his past that he is trying to run away from but uh like, he has this kind of nefarious entity that is trying to get him to wage wars and kill people and, and do evil stuff. Um, the the bog in that story also had an entity that was looking to kind of unify with the people of the town. And, like, like we don't know if those are fractures of the same plane or fractures of different planes or where they came from. How did an entity even get to Innistrad in the first place? We don't know. It's so bizarre and so new um, which is exciting and, and it doesn't really violate any existing canon which is pretty impressive for an IP with 26 years of, of lore and uh, it's kudos to Brandon for like carving out this little metaphysical space that makes his story work that also like expands on something really neat in magic And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see a potential future where we get to explore what entities are more because, um, like, I'm curious, like, maybe they can retrofit entity metaphys- metaphysics to explain things in Magic's past that we haven't been able to understand yet. Like, I don't know, what if Merrill Age is an entity? Like,
0: I also want to mention real quick about how time works on different planes. So, each plane does not have the same solar or lunar cycle. A lot of them that we see are similar, but they aren't exact, like time zones are not exact. It is not 3 p.m. across the multiverse, but it's not always going to be so different just because and unless it's something special about a plane like Amonket having two suns, most of the time if it's dark on one plane, you're going to find it dark on another unless there's something out of whack there.
1: Yeah, we see this in uh, the story limits with Gideon as he bounces back between Ravnica and Zendikar. He spends days on Ra- on Zendikar and nights on Ravnica. So those planes are clearly relatively in sync with their day-night cycles. Which, which I think for practical storytelling purposes, just assume most planes have similar time. Because it gets weird and mathy if you try and manipulate things other ways. Like... Do not go down the road of trying to desire planes that have different flows of times than other worlds because storytelling just gets too complicated and no one really enjoys that much. I, there's the there's not a lot of benefit to doing that as a storyteller. At least in this IP. You can deal with timey-wimey stuff in other IPs. It's weird for magic.
0: So let's talk about magic, namely mana and ether. How does, how does magic work? Obviously, if you have the ability to manipulate mana, you can manipulate reality. Because we know the, the thing that differentiates a plane from the blind eternities is the mana that's keeping the plane active. So if it's the stuff of reality, manipulating it will let you manipulate reality. I have a pet theory that I like to call the unified mana field theory that can apply to a lot of things. But namely, it boils down to this, which is ether plus mana equals space. Ooh, scientific. (laughs) Uh, There is some metaphysics way back in the novel, the Thran, about how magical power pushed into a power stone created physical space inside a power stone. And we also learn that when space is put into a power stone, it creates magical power. And we also know that when the Eldrazi uh suck all the um suck all the mana from a plane, it collapses. And like when they are fully manifested on a plane, they grow larger and larger. And that's because the ley lines were being run through them. So there's something to the idea that you can Basically make physical space and magic interchangeable there.
1: Yeah, we see that in Ogratha too in the Homelands comic and, and some of the backstory of that plane where uh, a planeswalker war had been waging, had been waged on Ogratha and drained the plane of most of its mana and the plane was becoming unstable so a planeswalker ripped a fissure in space-time and created a rift that brought mana in from another plane and and when the apocalypse chime was rung um it's basically implied that ogratha would have been destroyed if not for this font of mana that had been ripped open earlier um and that the dwarven gate gets opened uh, i think not long after so ogratha only survives because it gets mana from other planes by artificial means and the closing of the portals of all artificial portals during the mending, as Planar meso- Metaphysics realigned itself, means that Olgratha's probably gonna collapse because the plane is the plane is without mana and uh, now has no access to it. So, like, uh, we've seen Ulamog eat a whole plane in, and uh, the plane just ceases to exist. And that's probably gonna happen with Olgratha. It's weird, um, but I, I think supports the idea that. You kind of need this interaction of mana and ether to make kind of existence
3: happen. Do you want to hear my counterpoint? Yes. Sure. It's too popular. Even as a unvisitable plane again, it is far too popular. <laughs> like that is an outside in a reason. Set. Yes, unvisitable in a set, I think there will still be story developments that happen on Olgorotha and the mana flow will never be addressed, you can say mana restored to it and started to rebuild itself over the centuries between the story that took place on homelands in the comic and what happened in well i guess time spiral when we last saw it i mean zendikar regrew like literally the second that the eldrazi were burned down i'm not above believing that um olgrotha could be restored
1: sure Look, it's an easy solution You just say, like, as the mending was happening and the Dwarven gate was clo- closing, Baron Sanger took his sneaker and just kind of shoved it in there to keep the door from closing all the way and let a- enough manage to trickle through to let his castles arrive.
0: <laughs> so there's one important aspect of magic that would be, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about because of how the metaphysics are so complicated. And that is, what does it mean to summon a creature?
1: This is the part where I really just want to have my response be a verbalization of the shrug emoji.
0: (laughs) So back in the day, it was pretty simple. It was also super unethical, which was you were literally ripping someone from their home and bringing them to wherever you were. And it was that physical creature. Uh, Not a copy, but you basically just teleported them to you across time and space. And as Carrie has pointed out, from looking at some of the anthologies, there's literally stories that explored the idea of people being left behind on planes after being summoned for duels.
3: Losers always left them behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even Ravnica's history kind of implies it was seeded by planeswalkers. And that's a, a relatively common element throughout the multiverse.
1: Yeah, um, so uh, the Harper Prism Anthology, Distant Planes, most of the stories deal with this. Um, one of my favorite characters uh, from that era of storytelling, Niptol, was one of these abandoned folks stuck on Dominaria.
0: So let, let me talk a little bit about my favorite explanation for what summoning is in more modern times, which is uh, the, the alternate summoning theory, which is you are creating a mana construct, a thing or being built entirely out of magical means. Uh, not dissimilar to how like angels or or creatures that aren't born come into being. So this is an explanation from Limdul when uh, Jodah is within his grasp and they are discussing magic. And Limdul says, When you cast the spell, you envisioned that which you would create, a perfect chair that you were trying to emulate. I have heard and I believe that there is an ultimate chair somewhere that we both model our thoughts from. One that has the basics of all chairness. Does this ring any bells? And he goes on to say, It should. You yourself set down some of these ideas when you ruled the city of shadows over a thousand years ago. We don't summon real chairs, but magical constructs, copies of our ideal chairs carved in magical energies. Now, if that applies to chairs, it also applies to, say, animals. Were you to summon a dog and I to summon a dog, we would get different dogs, but they would both have the nature of dogness, and the ultimate dog would embody the important shared parts of both. So it's just cute. I love that explanation because it talks about, like, the ultimate share. And that ultimate dog bit makes me think back to what we talked about with the Ur-Dragon. The Ur-Dragon is that ultimate dragon ideal. Arabo is that ultimate cat ideal that maybe a lot of this magic is drawing from. Maybe there's an earth chair I don't know. That's probably just a dumb
1: idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this whole explanation is just lifted from Plato. This is literally just the idea of platonic ideals, but put magic on top of it.
3: There are a lot of interesting, I guess, I guess, unconsidered corner cases for a lot of magic summoning in the past. Um, and obviously a lot of interpretations that don't follow this model but one of the more interesting ones that i came across was an angel of vengeance which let me actually (laughs) see what what anthology novel that was in because it has been quite a while that was the colors of magic anthology um but it basically follows the summoning of an angel who has to get revenge on this guy um and then the person issuing the angel orders kind of goes over the edge but as she follows the orders she can feel like kind of the grasp of his summoning on her weakening and eventually she is able to be free of his orders altogether because it's just been like so long since he has summoned her but she exists as like just a creature in this world now um it's a very interesting corner case. It is probably one of my favorite models of summoning, just because it explains a lot of things more clearly, um, specifically being able to summon creatures and leave them behind even if they were mana constructs necessarily. So just an interesting tidbit to throw in there.
2: Pretty sure Nissa's uh, summoning of elves and Teeth of a comb was a little bit different as well, but... That book is awful, so let's not talk about it.
0: Well, Elspeth also summons like these soldiers that are generic soldiers that are essentially mana constructs. They're very obviously mana constructs. And Nissa's summoning of Jiraga Elves feels similar. But yeah, it's the reality is is that all of this kind of coexists at once because we have recent cases of summoning meaning the actual literal creature. With things like Lorthos being summoned, um, it was Lorthos, right? That got summoned, and
1: yeah, Lorthos is an interesting case because Kira summons him from Zendikar to Zendikar. So, so Lorth- we don't, we don't know where on Zendikar Lorthos is. Um, they mentioned that like he's somewhere in the deep ocean. How are we gonna get him? And then Kira's like, I got this, Biden. I do fine. And it's like, bing, and then Lorthos is just like there. And then it's like, oh, you didn't call him, you summoned him. And it, like they
3: made a big deal of using the word summon there, which was uncomfortable. <laughs> Kira's whole mission prior to Battle for Zendikar block was specifically trying to get creatures or become familiar with creatures on Thera so that she could summon them to Zendikar or while she was on Zendikar, which...
1: Yeah, she was chasing down a, a Rixmethes.
3: which was very, very um, how I say flawed, <laughs> because everybody knew that wasn't going to. She wasn't going to get this Leviathan Island to Zendikar, um, not post mending.
1: A is a kraken, not a Leviathan.
3: Kraken Island. I'm, I apologize.
1: <laughs> Garrick
0: had something similar where he, with the creatures he would hunt. He would put like a hand mark on them, and then he was able to summon them again later. And you know, it was kind of like you know, gotta catch them all kind of thing. So you know, it it the the answer is it's it's not really clear. the The stories play around with it as they need it, and all of them can exist simultaneously.
1: Yeah, I don't think magic story is any better if there's a super strict metaphysical explanation for summoning that works only one way and can only work one way I think that stifles a lot of what Magic Story is capable of and so I'm pretty fine if summoning is kind of vague and there are kind of a bunch of different ways to do it that might mostly just be temporal um, like it might just be that Planeswalkers aren't strong enough to summon things across the multiverse like that anymore um, I'm fine with explanations like that but like I, it's not an area where I'm terribly concerned about thinking too hard
0: that that about does it for our metaphysics episode if there's something we didn't talk about that you'd love us to chat about in the future make sure to hit us up let's move on to final thoughts so final thoughts for me is godzilla king of monsters comes out on blu-ray next week i believe is that right lorelei i don't remember
1: um i think when this episode is out so so this will be out on monday um, so I think it'll be technically tomorrow when y'all are listening, unless you're listening to it after Monday, in which case it's out.
0: Heck yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited. It, that movie was so much fun.
0: If I had time, you know, if I had more time as an adult with a kid, I would have gone to see that movie like three times in theaters.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, like if if movies weren't hella expensive, um, I, I have a dine-in theater by me and the food there is like pretty decent. So, like, that's usually where I go to see movies. If, if I was made of more money and had, like, an easier time getting there, I would have gone and seen that movie. I could have seen that movie by myself, like, just on a whim. It was so much fun.
0: It is the only movie I can think of in recent memory that, like, weeks later I would think about it and it would make me, like, smile and viscerally happy.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm still thinking about Brie Larson's haircut in uh, Endgame, so, you know, mood. That's my final thought, Brie Larson's haircut and I'm gay.
2: Brian. <laughs> uh, my final thought is that uh, Classic WoW is coming out soon, <laughs> and it's bringing back memories, but I will not be playing because in Classic WoW, I was playing a hunter and going back to the dead zone and paying for ammo and having to use mana. GTFO.
3: <laughs> Are there any other classes you're going to consider, though? So, I played
2: Hunter from level 1 through 100 and something, and I have over 300 hours logged, and I don't want to play anything else if I were to play. (laughs) So, like, I I had alts, and I put a decent amount of time in some of my alts, but, like, I just loved the Hunter playstyle And, like, some of my my happiest moments were like doing the hunter epic quests for Roque Dalar, especially the winter spring demon where you had to kite the thing halfway across the zone. Um, but I, I can't imagine going back and doing that. I'll now, never again. seeing yeah, seeing what Wow has seeing what Wow did in some of the later expansions, especially to make quality of life, especially for hunters a lot better. I can't imagine going back to the vanilla version of Hunter and I don't really know if I would want to play any of that stuff again because like even during like WoW like I played WoW because I like to raid like that that was some of my most enjoyed time in WoW and like I I wouldn't be playing with those same people and it'd just be different but you know to each their own so good luck to anyone who's playing I will not be doing that.
3: My final thought is short and sweet. Um, I appreciate having Brian on this cast. Happy one year anniversary. that is all.
1: If any of you listeners out there have also appreciated people like Brian and, and Ashley may her energy rest in peace as she <laughs> deals with college finals. Um, if you have enjoyed these folks joining our show, and if you have enjoyed, uh, me, Carrie and Jay, uh, doing the show. We're now on episode, what is this, 79? Jeez. You know, we, we appreciate everyone who stuck around, and, and if you want to kind of show your appreciation back, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast, where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our show and keep it going every week. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are banding together, having a jolly good time, getting... Very excited for Throne of Eldraine, which I'm still not talking about yet. And, uh, we're starting another D&D thing tonight. Uh, we, we had done a Innistrad one-shot, um, two, uh, two, like, two months ago. And, uh, we're getting that crew back together for, like, a couple session adventure thing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, do we, I'd, I'd like to get us to do more D&D. So, more people means more D&D. So, if, uh, you've, you've been looking for people to, to game with, uh, that's, that's the thing we do, too. So, uh. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Forthos cast.